KTN. Connecting for positive change. Hello and welcome to our AI for Services podcast interviews. My name is Astrid Ayal and I run the AI for Services Innovation Network. AI for Services brings together AI and data high growth entrepreneurs with leading professionals and academics working in the accountancy, insurance, legal and financial services sectors. This initiative is part of the Next Generation Services Challenge program funded by UKRI and delivered by KTN. With this podcast, we want to share with our community the latest innovation projects shaping the future of the professional and financial services sectors and hear from founders who know best on what it takes to transform the sector. And there is no better way to start our podcast series with a very special guest, Seamus Frey. Seamus, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Astrid. Um, so my name is Seamus Ray. I'm the founder and CEO of an organization called Engine B, which we'll talk about during this podcast. Um, I uh, Just a brief thing around my background. So I was a serial entrepreneur in India uh, around the IT space uh, back in the 90s um, and then ended up working in professional services um, in PwC and KPMG. Uh, for many years, looking at artificial intelligence, uh, big data, et cetera, et cetera. So um, kind of a long-term history in technology and in data. Great. Well, it's a real pleasure to uh, interview you today. Um, we first met, I think, about a year and a half ago um, at a three-day residential innovation lab. Um, 60 of us spent three days together discussing and developing projects um, that then would be submitted uh, for a funding competition for the Next Generation Services uh, program. Um, I have difficulties remember, remembering if those sort, you know, those sort of human encounters <laughs> that mm. uh, you know whether they ever existed. <laughs> but um, anyway, the competition and its innovation lab um, aimed to enable better data access in the sectors. And uh, Seamus, you were indeed successful in securing funding through that competition. Um, so I'm going to put you straight on, on the spot here, Seamus. Can you give me your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. So um, Engine B is focused on exactly that space in terms of making data accessible um, so that the greater innovation can take place across industry, both within traditional firms and uh, in new startups. Uh, so Engine B, our hypothesis is that if you want to deliver a service to a client, um, a corporate, then uh, you need access to some of their data to be able to provide that service. Uh, so if a lawyer, a legal firm wants to automate how they do um, manage leases for a client, uh, they'll need access to the client's leases. If uh, an accounting firm wants to provide some tax services in a digitized fashion uh, around um, indirect taxes, so VAT, et cetera, then they need to have access to the accounts. Um, and that's really difficult uh, because you're not only dealing with structured data in the finance system, but you're dealing with unstructured data like contracts. Um, so Engine B's pure focus is how do we um, get hold of client data, both finance data and supply chain contracts and leases and everything else, normalize them into a way which is standard for the industry um, and then make them available to the industry. And, and again, to be really specific, that's the current incumbents 
um, so current law firms, accounting firms, but also desperately to try and get huge innovation from new technology startups who just couldn't afford to, to kind of write systems to pull data out of clients' environments, normalize it, and make themselves available. So, so really, we're an innovation platform for professional services, um, and we start by bringing all that data together in a clean way, normalize it, secure way, and then make it available to people. Um, that's our pure focus. Great. And um, I think last time you, we spoke, you, 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 you mentioned also that you use data models and um, specifically knowledge graphs. Yes, um, absolutely. Can you tell me a bit more about that? You know, what, what, what are knowledge graphs and why, why should people care about them? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sadly passionate about data models and knowledge graphs, um, which is quite sad. I've obviously COVID lockdown has been going on for too long. But so, so the first thing to say is, look, if, if I'm going to give you a load of different data, um, then you need to know what the data model is so you understand what a name is, what an address is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's the, some of the basics. And everybody thought that would take us three or four years to get the uh, professional services industry to agree to a data model. We, we've done that predominantly. Uh, we've done audit. We're, we're almost done on tax. We've done chunks of legal uh, and, and we're starting to do chunks of insurance, but we won't do all of insurance and we won't do all of legal. The market's got to step up to that. Um, so that's the data model, right? So that's quite important. We've got most of that done. Then, then we add on top of knowledge graphs. And the best way to think about knowledge graphs, Astrid, is you know everybody has done a business course where you do mind maps. Um, and so you might go, uh, and if, to remind you of mind map, you've got to create a little circle and you go, Okay, I'm doing a mind map on property. So you write a circle, property in there. Uh, and then you do a line out going owned by, right? And it might be a pension fund, right? And then it goes, but lease two, and it might be lease to KTN, right? Um, so you, you may not own the property, it might be leased, but at least you know who owns it now. And you can imagine, if you think about all the different things about property, how many floors it's got, where it's located, what its environmental impact is going to be, et cetera, you create this huge spider diagram. Um, around the concept of property. So that's a knowledge graph. But, but what, what does that mean? That means that uh, we can say to a tech startup in Shoreditch or in Newcastle, look, if you want to get access to um, uh, a company's leases and, and the company lets you have access to those leases, right? This is a secure environment. Um, then you can go, look, I want all leases uh, for buildings uh, which are rented out in Birmingham uh, which don't have a termination clause, right? So you can create that kind of complex query uh, mm. and uh, Engine B will go away and pull those leases together and deliver them to you. And they will use the knowledge graph to look at different data sources. Some of them are from the finance system, some of the leases, et cetera, and bring together uh, the information across different data sources and provide that all back to you. So you don't need to worry about oh, this bit of the information comes from the finance system, this bit comes from the leases, uh, document, et cetera, et cetera. The knowledge graph looks across. And knowledge graphs are used uh, by people like Google to do search. Uh, they're used by Bing, the Microsoft uh, search engine. They're also used by the intelligence community um, when the intelligence community needs to look across lots of different data sources to find terrorists, et cetera. They use knowledge graphs. Um, uh, so, so that's what we're building. And we're, and we're doing them, building the design of those knowledge graphs with lawyers, with accountants. And um, you know, there are some available now, actually, for people to play with. 
Great. So it's basically an effective way of querying data that is coming from different uh, data sources. That no, you say it beautifully, uh, <laughs> concisely relative to what I just said. No, but, no, but I, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I like the analogy of, uh, it made me think of thesaurus, you know, when you, you search yeah. for an, an, a, a word and it gives you all the synonyms and the, the, the words associated with that word. You, you know, that's... Um, you know, so. I gave an example of a legal solution. If, if you think about it from an accounting solution, um, you know, lots of people, if you're looking for fraud in a finance system, you look at things in the in the general ledger, very dull, but and you look at a line item and you go, oh, look, there's a, a payment to, you know, engine B, right, of uh, X, X amount of money. Um, you, you, you kind of then want to go and see, was, was that the payment which was in the invoice at the purchase order? And can I look at the open banking system and make sure that payment was actually made to engine B? And finally, could I look at the contract and go, um, is, is the contract value the same as the invoice and the same as the uh, finance system, same as open banking? Now, that's quite complex to do, but that's all in the knowledge graph, right? So you could just go, oh, I want to see all payments in general ledger, which are different to uh, the invoice or different to the contract or where the open banking system says it was paid off to Seamus Ray Private Account Limited, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so that it makes things really simple. Um, but uh, so, I, and it's relevant to everybody. It's not just lawyers; it's accountants, it's lots of different um, parts of society who need to have access to data from different sources. But, but we're doing it for corporate data. Yeah, so, and you mentioned that um, you, you're already working with uh, incumbent firms. So can I ask, um, you know, who are you working with currently? Or who, I know you have got an impressive list, list of partners. Yeah, so we've got nine, uh, well, sorry, 13 now, I apologize. 13 accounting firms and six law firms. Um, so, so that's really good. And they are working with us in both designing uh, the knowledge graphs with us uh, but also they're, they're now building use cases um, to sit on top of our knowledge graphs. Um, so that's, it's really genuinely exciting. Um, and, and actually, you know, we, we, we have one client who wanted to build a fraud tool and uh, they, they, they looked at it and went, it's probably a nine to 12 month exercise internally uh, and it's been delivered in three months. Right? But because, because the, the standardization, because of the knowledge graphs, uh, the first MVP was done in six weeks. Um, so, so uh, really, the, the people can produce tools now which are far more advanced than the ones they could have done before, uh, and they could do it far faster because they're not having to do a lot of the heavy lifting around the data. Um, so, yeah, and um, we're still working with you know, Birmingham University, Imperial College, Oxford Brooks around this, and we, we've also started working with a university in Illinois as well. So we care passionately about some of the cutting edge thinking around this space. So without being really boring, we use a lot of AI, right? Um, mm. As you'd expect. But we're now working on that intersection of artificial intelligence within the knowledge graph, right? Um, and uh, that's kind of quite cutting edge uh, in terms of the work we're doing. So some of that work uh, we're funding and, and we're working on some of that will, will work and some of it won't work. But um, it's a very, very fascinating space, to say the least. Yes, definitely. Um, so I now want to um, 
sort of take us back to the beginning of your of your journey. Um, perhaps you know, um, month before we met at the Innovation Lab, you, you mentioned your experience in India and your background of many years working for um, PwC and KPMG. But um, what what motivated you to embark on this on this project? So, so firstly, I think um, I was slightly different from most uh, partners in in the profession. So, uh, because I've been an entrepreneur before, and I'm a, a computing scientist, um, and I'm also one of those people who loves change, right? And and, and not change for change's sake, but, but I look at something and go, we could do things in a more efficient way. Um, my kids hate me for it, right? So I'll sit there going, no, no, actually. This isn't massively efficient, is it? Um, and uh, so I was sitting there, slightly frustrated. But but I, honestly, I loved KPMG and I loved PwC. So I'm not having a go at those organisations. But they're very very big, um, and they spend billions a year on technology. Um, and I, I kind of looked and go, actually, there's a whole piece here which uh, needs to be delivered, which would unlock innovation, not just for the big four, but the whole industry, and more importantly bring innovation in from startups um, in, in uh, you know, outside of the profession, because actually the profession won't move fast enough by itself. So, so I was passionate about that, and I was um, working on uh, various projects on how to digitize um, services uh, within the profession um, and, and talking to other people across the industry as well. And it just... It just seemed like a hugely sensible thing to do. Um, and, and I know it sounds a bit high and mighty, but we are a purpose-driven organization. So we're purpose first, profit second. Will, will this be profitable? Absolutely will be. Let's not, let's not deny that. But, but we, we want to open up the market. We want to bring innovation to the marketplace. We want to bring in lots of great, talented young people um, who've got great ideas and get them to start great businesses. And we want to create that platform to allow them to do that. And, and finally, um, I just look at the UK and I go, there's a great concentration in the Southeast. Um, and I want to do something which is going to uh, enable uh, greater use of cutting edge technology to build new companies across the UK and then, make, and then help the UK to become and maintain uh, often maintain, but also become in certain spaces the the leader uh, in terms of technology disruption and professional services. That sounds all high and mighty, but we're also living to that, right? So, you know, a lot of our tech team are now in Scotland, um, in and around Glasgow, and a bit in Edinburgh. We've got some people down on the south coast um, as well. Um, so, so, so I wanted to do all of those things, right? And 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 as uh, the ICAW, the Accounting Association. One of the senior people in there said to me, Seamus, this is either going to make you very wealthy or you're going to get a statue, right? And I kind of went, <laughs> I went, not very keen on the statue, but but actually, um, you know what? If we if we can be purpose-driven, profit will follow, right? Um, mm. And uh, and I think we should have more purpose-driven organizations. Um, yes. So we are there to enable others, right? Um, so, yeah. That's Definitely. That my passion. Great. Um, and now I, I recall that um, the enabling data access competition winners were, were announced in, in early 2020, so just weeks before 
um, COVID lockdown was was announced. So, um, you know, a, a challenging time to, to start uh, your project. What what would you say has been your biggest achievement um, in, in such a difficult year? So, um, look, we had we've got a whole lot of firms who are working with us in a collaborative way, uh, helping us build, right? Um, and uh, it, it, it's it's absolutely been about hiring talent and maintaining that collaborative um, working relationship with the the current firms. So you know we, we've all moved to Zoom, etc. Um, but but honestly, the workshop you referred to earlier on, Astrid, I, I really enjoyed. They're they're really mm. difficult to build that kind of innovative whiteboarding type two or three day workshop online. I mean, people last two or three hours online and they give up. So, so I, I think we've missed that. Um, and that's, that has been a hindrance, right? But at the same time, uh, by everybody moving virtually, uh, it meant that the firms we were dealing with were completely happy to work with us virtually, right? They, they had taught everything they did. Um, and it also meant that we could get talent up and down the country, rather than rather than around an office space. Um, so, so it's had advantages and disadvantages, but um, it's definitely been worthwhile. Mm, great, um, and you know, it's often said that um, the professional services sector is particularly resistant for change. Um, and, and if ready culturally for change, their processes, their IT infrastructure, the level of digitization might not make them um, data or, or AI ready. So what, what has been your experience so far and um, what has been your biggest frustration? So, so I think that's genuinely true um, on a historic basis, right? So, the, and, and actually just the structure of a lot of the professional services firms you know, means that it's a partner or an X number of staff kind of pyramid structure. Um, and, you know, partners don't want to spend money on technology, which is going to reward them two or three years down the line. They want instant results. Um, and actually, they struggle to be able to change their business models away from selling people by the hour to services where technology is augmenting and sometimes replacing but uh, predominantly augmenting people. Um, so so there, there's a cultural issue and there's a business model issue. Um, but, but COVID, I think, has been, look, it's been horrendous for all those people uh, caught up in it. And I, I actually had COVID, which knocked me out for a month. So mm. I completely uh, am empathetic with everybody who's had it and, and those who people have lost. But, um, but for, for the professional services, it's forced them to... Um, mm remove some of those cultural barriers. Um, now, the question is, will those cultural barriers go back up again when uh, mm-hmm. we, are, we are released in May, June, July, or whatever it is? Um, we, we, as a bunch of change agents, everybody who's listening to this podcast, we need to maintain the momentum as we come out. Right? We, we need to carry on being energetic, enthusiastic with our clients um, and hope that they maintain the momentum of change because they've reduced their cultural barriers now. Um, and we need to help them to carry on changing and not put the barriers back up again. It's a, it's a risk, uh, mm. but there's a moment which we can try and all work together to try and make sure that, that actually we maintain that momentum. No, I agree. Um, 
Now, my job is, is to speak to people like, like you to see if I can help facilitate connections with commercial or, or academic partners. Um, and I often talk to innovators who are at the start of their journey. And you've already given some great advice in terms of thinking of the purpose of your business and um, discussing the, 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 the business needs of the sector. But uh, what advice um, would you give someone starting? There was one piece of advice that you, you would give someone starting in the professional uh, services space. So if, you, if, you're, if you're starting a tech startup in the professional services space, uh, I think there are a lot of tech startups which have happened over the last you know, five or six years, which is a great bit of technology, right? But, but, but it's not close enough to the solutions that are required. I know it seems a really obvious thing to say. Mm -hmm. So wherever possible, co-create with people from the industry. Um, now, don't ask them to build the technology, but do, build something that actually they need and they want to have. So, so that, and people then go, well, how do you get that? You know what, uh, there's no harm in asking, right? Um, and, and actually the things I've got away with by just asking the direct question of somebody, whether they will help me, um, is unbelievable, and people seem to be too shy and too British about it. Um, so I, I, I'm always happy to go up to a law firm or an accounting firm and go, look, I've got this great idea. I, I don't want it to miss by 20% or 80%, so I want to build it, uh, and I want to run some workshops with some of your team so I can fine-tune this in the right way. And, and inevitably, people say yes. So make sure you build something which is going to hit a business requirement which is in the market today. It seems obvious, but we sometimes build things which are technically brilliant, but not on the mark. And, and the way to do that is by asking. You'll be surprised what you get away with by asking in a polite way. Oh yeah, I think this is so true and uh, sits with uh, what we believe in uh, at KTN in terms of co-creation and uh, user-centric design. Um, now, yeah, um, well, now, um, well, thank you, um, Seamus. It's been a, a real pleasure um, talking to you. Just wanted to ask you where, where can our listeners um, connect to you online? Yeah, it's, if you go to www.engineb, or one word, .com, uh, that's our website. Uh, and I'm Seamus, S-H-A-M-U-S, at enginebee.com. Great. And I have uh, one last question for you. Um, mm -hmm. This is uh, my first podcast, and I read that I should create a, a signature question at the end of my podcast. So um, I, of course, uh, thought I would link it back to KTN and our purpose, which is um, we create diverse connections to drive positive change. So my question is, um, who is the one person you would love to meet before you die and why? Okay. So if you'd asked me this two years ago, I'd have said Elon Musk. Uh, oh. But I had the pleasure—I had the pleasure of sitting down and having dinner with Elon Musk. So that's oh, really? wow. that was a that was a highlight highlight of my life, right? So, um, uh, especially now people. that he's in the news yeah. with um, with buying uh, one point five billion bitcoins, I think. On Bitcoin, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were eight other people on the table, but it was still worth it. Um, so honestly, I would love to meet Obama. Because, uh, and I know everybody wants to meet Obama, but you're going to go, this man was purpose-driven. He, he wasn't always successful, and you, you may not always agree with his purpose, but he was purpose-driven, and he was clear about his purpose, 
and he tried to execute on that. Um, and I, I just have the most immense respect for that. Uh, so I, I'd love to sit down and have dinner with Obama, if I'm being honest. That would be uh, a high. But I, I don't think I'll achieve that somehow. Well, I'll, I'll check out KTN uh, contacts and see if we can yeah, get that connection for you, James. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. At KTN, our purpose is to create diverse connections to drive positive change. Thank you for joining me. And to our listeners, uh, check our webpage, AIforservices.org. Share this recording with your colleagues, your friends, and I see you next time. KTN, connecting for positive change.